0: It was Good Friday, several years ago. Tony Campolo was at a preaching event when an older preacher got up to preach. Campolo loved the sermon so much that he's told the story of that sermon so often that it's become really famous. In fact, there's a book with that title. The title of the sermon was, It's Friday, but Sunday's Coming. Campolo said the, the preacher started off in low gear, but he quickly moved to high gear. This is part of what he said, it was Friday, it was Friday and my Jesus was dead on the tree, but that was Friday and Sunday's coming, it was Friday and Mary was crying her eyes out, the disciples were running in every direction like sheep without a shepherd, but that was Friday and Sunday's coming, it was Friday, Pilate thought he had washed his hands of a lot of trouble, the Pharisees were strutting around laughing and poking each other in the ribs. They thought they were back in charge of things, but they didn't know it was only Friday. Sunday's coming. The preacher repeatedly pounded home the message, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming, until finally, at the end of his message, he just yelled at the top of his lungs, it's Friday. And all 500 folks in the room yelled back in one voice, Sunday's coming. I can't imitate that preacher, I wouldn't try, but what a great message that is for us in the middle of this pandemic. It's Friday and things are dark and things seem hopeless and and yet Sunday's coming. We are Easter people. Next Sunday we're going to celebrate that the love of God can reach all the way down into a tomb. We are Easter people. We are people of hope. We are people who know even when it's Friday and things are dark and cold and We know that Sunday's coming, and I hope you'll remember that. That's a great message for today, but it's not the message that I want to leave with you for today. Today, we're going to turn that around, and we're going to say, it's Sunday, but Friday's coming. It's Sunday. Things may be good, but Friday's inevitably come. It was Sunday, it was, we call it Palm Sunday. Jesus came riding from the Mount of Olives across the Kidron Valley into Jerusalem people began to gather. We don't know exactly how the crowd formed. It was uh, like a flash mob. It was like somebody had put on social media, hey meet me at the Mount of Olives and bring your palm branches. Jesus came riding in on a donkey and they remembered what Zechariah had said hundreds of years later that the king of Israel would come riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. So they thought finally the king of Israel has come. They thought that Jesus would come and deliver them from the oppressive rule of the Romans. They thought he's going to come and assume military leadership and we'll overthrow the Romans and we'll be liberated. And so they were cheering, they were cheering. Hosanna, they cheered. Now, in most places, Hosanna doesn't make any sense. You yell Hosanna in the streets and people will wonder what you're talking about. You yell go in your office and people won't know what you're talking about either. But if you yell go at a ball game, everybody knows what you mean. And when you yell Hosanna, as, as a man enters Jerusalem on a donkey, it means It has great meaning. Everybody knows what you're talking about. Here came the king. Hosanna means save. They believed Jesus was coming in to save them. It was Sunday, but Friday was coming. It was Sunday, but the one who was cheered like a rock star on Sunday was executed like a murderous villain on Friday. The good times were gone. It was Sunday, but Friday was coming. I don't mean to be depressive. I I don't mean to rain on anybody's parade, but but Fridays inevitably come. The heartaches and the heartbreaks and the stumbles and the regrets, they inevitably come. And so my question is, is about whether you're ready for the inevitable Friday. Are you going to be ready? If it's, if it's Sunday now, things are good now. Well, first, congratulations, but are you ready for the inevitable come, coming of Friday? Three specific questions today. Number one, is your faith deep enough to handle it when life gets hard? Is your faith deep enough to handle it when life gets hard? Psalm, to quote from Psalm 42, when deep cries out to deep, Will there be anything deep inside you to answer? When deep questions cry out for deep answers, will there be anything to answer? When deep anxiety cries out for deep peace, will there be anything to answer? When deep thirst cries out for a deep reservoir, will there be anything to answer? Phillips Brooks wrote, Someday, in the years to come, you'll be wrestling with the great temptation are trembling under the great sorrow of your life. But the real struggle is here, now. Now it is being decided whether in the day of your supreme sorrow or temptation you shall miserably fail or gloriously conquer. Character cannot be made except by a steady, long, continued process. And what is that process? The spiritual disciplines, the disciplines that Jesus practiced, that that shape our very souls, and they're they're pretty simple. Reading the Bible, get a good translation, and that has good notes, and read the Bible like a love letter from your father. Prayer. The Bible says in Psalm one sixteen two, because he has turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. What a beautiful picture that the creator of the of the universe has is leaning over the balcony of heaven. He has his ear cupped, his hand cupped to his ear to listen to you. What a great privilege to pray. Fasting simply means doing without. It means maybe skipping lunch Monday through Friday and during lunchtime, getting away to pray. It might mean skip, having breakfast and then skipping uh, lunch and dinner and having breakfast the next day. And you, every time your stomach growls, you... You pray. It's a symbol. It's, a, it's an act, a, a concrete act that says to our Father that we are completely dependent on you. Fasting, a solitude, intentionally alone. Now some of us extroverts have had about all the solitude we can take, but the intentional choice to be alone is a great spiritual discipline. Jesus often withdrew because he knew he could hear the voice of the Father more clearly when he was alone than when he was with people in a and living a a busy day. Public worship meaning means joining with people who are imperfect to worship the one who is. Right now we're doing that digitally, but when this pandemic passes and it will, then you and I need to be with the people of God in the houses of God to worship. Simplicity, another discipline, simplicity, generosity, and financial stewardship, which just means living within our means so that we can invest well in things that matter, eter- things that matter eternally. Service, using our skills, our gifts, and uh, joining God in his mission to the world. Those are disciplines, they're practices that shape our very souls. Oswald Chambers wrote, If we refuse to practice these disciplines, it is not God's grace that fails when a crisis comes, but our own nature. When the crisis comes, we ask God to help us, but he cannot if we have not made our nature our ally. Spiritual disciplines shape what Chambers calls our nature. So when Friday inevitably comes, when deep calls out to deep, disciplines prepare us for that and make sure that our, our nature is ready. First question, is your faith deep enough to handle it when life gets hard? Second question, is your faith more uh, than cultural Christianity? Is your faith more than cultural Christianity? Cultural Christianity is the practice of the Christian faith because it is the culturally acceptable thing to do. You know, mama was a Christian, so I'm a Christian. I look at those people going to church and they seem awful nice, so I think I'll go and I might find some clients or some customers. There, that's cultural Christianity, but cultural Christianity can't cut it when Friday comes. When, when you get bad news, when, when life come, tum, comes tumbling in, cultural Christianity can't cut it. When deep calls out to deep, you need more than cultural Christianity. I want to tell you the story about one of my favorite figures from church history, John Wesley, the founder of the, the Methodist Church. In uh, 1735, John and Charles Wesley got on a ship from England headed to the colony of Georgia. They were going to be Anglican missionaries in the colony of Georgia. It was 1735. They were delayed. The ship was delayed leaving uh, England, and so they had to sail through the stormy season, and it scared John Wesley to death. He was afraid for his life he was afraid but he was also disappointed because his faith failed him but there were some moravians 26 moravians he wrote were on board the moravians were christians from europe that that were popular in those days they 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 were pious people and i mean pious in the best sense of the word they were deeply devout they they were devoted to those disciplines i mentioned a while ago their faith was deep they practiced piety and Purity. They were holy people. And there was one night, Wesley wrote, when he went down below deck, and, and they, the storm was raging, and they were worshiping. And he said once, he stood there and watched them, and a wave hit that was so fierce, he said that he thought the very ship would crumble. But all they did was grab hands to steady themselves, and they kept singing. John Wesley was was. Frightful, he was afraid for his life, scared to death, and disappointed that his cultural Christianity was failing him. He knew the the Moravians had something that he didn't have. They didn't stay long, John and Charles Wesley in Georgia. They soon were back in England. And on the evening of May 24th, 1738, John Wesley was in a meeting on Aldersgate Street in London. And he wrote in his journal, about a quarter before nine, while he, the speaker, was describing the change which which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for my salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine. Up to that point, John Wesley had had a cultural Christianity that wouldn't cut it, but that night on Aldersgate Street, he experienced a transformation so radical that Jesus called it a new birth. He had more now than cultural Christianity. When deep called out to deep, and it did for the rest of his life, he had something. John Wesley had something uh, to answer. So the first question, is your faith deep enough to handle it when life gets hard? The second question, is your faith more than a just a cultural Christianity. And the third question, a series of questions really. When you fail, when you stumble and when you fall, when you violate God's wonderful intentions for your life, what will atone for your sins? Where will you find forgiveness and redemption? When we mess up, I mean we really mess up, when we need more than somebody to say, don't worry about it. When we need more than, than enough drinks to numb our regret, when we need more than a coping mechan- mechanism, will there be something to take care of your deep needs? Will there be something to redeem bad stories, to, to use a good biblical word, to atone for your sins, to make them right. I used to watch a TV show in the 90s. It ran through the early 2000s. Uh, ER, you might, some of you might know that, jo- made George Clooney famous. In one episode of ER, there was a, a physician, a prison doctor, who had been the one to administer the lethal injections to ministers that were, I mean, to prisoners, not ministers, but prisoners that were put to death. And he lived with a regret over that. He was just he was following orders he was certainly within the law but but he was dying he was in the hospital and he was dying and he he was facing death with these regrets over having put so many other people to death and there was one in particular when he had hurried an execution and later the prisoner was found out to be innocent and so now this doctor this prison doctor was himself dying and he was scared And he wanted wanted some answers. He was talking with a chaplain, a a tolerant, open-minded, progressive chaplain. I'm trying not to use pejorative language. A tolerant, open-minded, progressive chaplain. The physician, the dying prison doctor, said, I'm afraid of what comes next. And what do you think that is? Asked the chaplain. You tell me, the doctor answered, is atonement even possible? What does God want from me? I think it's up to each one of us to interpret what God wants, this progressive, tolerant, open-minded chaplain answered. I think it's up to each one of us to interpret what God wants. That response didn't go well. The terminally ill prison doctor screamed. I need answers, and all your questions and all your uncertainty are making things worse. I need someone to look me in the eye and tell me how to find forgiveness, because I'm running out of time. This man was dying with all these regrets weighing heavily on him, and for somebody to say, oh, don't worry about it, wouldn't cut it. For somebody to say, I, I, I think it's up to each one of us to interpret what God wants, he, he wanted more than that he wanted he wanted some answers about his deep sins we all at least most of us pretend at least that that we're not mortal that we're going to be here forever but deep down inside we know we aren't and, and deep down inside there's a longing to know that when that day comes we're going to be okay and that's why that's why the cross, the talk of the cross is so important because the cross screams grace, God's unconditional, undeserved, unlimited, unrelenting love, a love that will not let you go and a love that will give you a new story, the kind of love that makes you want to live but not afraid to die. My hope is that your hope is in, is in that love of Jesus and not your own goodness, Because the hard truth is, it may be Sunday, but Friday, Friday's coming.